Welcome, everybody, to Recovery Machine. I'm your co-host, Nathan. Joined, as always, by my co-host and your co-host, Corey. How are you doing, Corey? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel very good today. I'm filled with anger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been doing good with anger for a while. So it's, I'm just trying to uh, let it be and kind of examine it from an, uh, an observer's point of view, if possible. That's something I've been working on with meditation is to try to step back and uh, just really look at my thoughts as they come along and then kind of from a point of kindness, examine them and take them for what they are and then learn from them as they come by. But ever since yesterday, I, I felt very locked into my body and uh, unable to step back. And then I realized that there's an interesting thing happening there where the more frustrated I become with the world in general, and that's partly to do with, I think, researching the topic that we are mm-hmm. researching here. But mm-hmm. that frustration tends to uh, accumulate and then I become... I have this kind of smoldering, like, uh, anger, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, what it, what, what it makes me want to do is use drugs. It's, uh, it's interesting how it, it's such a clear path from fear, anger, and then hopelessness. And then from hopelessness to like, just fuck it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, it's not, I'm not the type of guy, I don't believe I'm at the point in my life where even if I did go and use a whole bunch of drugs, I could probably get myself out of it. But uh, that's not, I don't think it's ever healthy to try to use drugs to, it's, I feel the same way about any kind of behavior. But I mean, same with drinking, right? There's a difference between celebrating and uh, trying to escape your problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I feel like doing. I've put myself in a position where I don't have access to um, those things are not easy to obtain. At least they're not at arms within arms reach. And that's kind of the best thing. I think Um, it might be, might be trouble for me to have those things just laying around when I'm feeling like this, but it is a, it's something to pay attention to. I think if Mm -hmm. you are a person who has had problems with drugs in the past, such as myself and, I believe you as well, Corey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a, I can relate to how you feel in the last 24 hours. And it, it, it's not the first time with either with you or with other friends I have, where once you kind of say it, you realize that you're on the same wavelength. <laughs> and that's one of the cool things about saying it. That's one of the benefits of saying it is that you, you're vulnerable. And then you end up usually, hopefully learning about other people and, and it lets other people share that too. Cause I have had sort of similar feelings and it's just been uh, specifically just some stress over, over uh childcare of my four-year-old and stuff. That's not about me. Nothing that I kind of, it's not a personal thing. It's just sort of the approach of the school and kind of what to do next about it and what the next steps will be and not liking the, their delivery of that information and created a lot of, a lot of stress in me, a lot of like stressful thinking about like the uncertainty and, and feeling some distrust there, feeling some angst there. But what I really noticed in myself, and this has been over the last little while, is that I always used to describe like my reaction to tension and stress as being in my chest and being mm-hmm. in like, you know, the center of my body more. What I noticed lately is that it's much more in my head. Hmm. That, that that feeling of stress is much more like feels like um not a not a conventional headache, but it feels like an actual cloud or obstruction within my head. Interesting. Which is not a good feeling. <laughs> no. Is it clouding your ability to think coherently? Like, does it feel like brain fog or does it just feel like a type of uh, angst, like a mental angst? Uh, I would say, well, I, I would say both. Both. Brain mm. fog. Um, in that it's like, it, I feel locked into like a, a pretty negative perspective yeah um, and unable to kind of like and and maybe there's part of that is the solution is that you can't necessarily think your way out of it no no you can't sometimes there's a limit to the intellect and part of that is that you have to kind of uh sometimes feel your way out of it or physically work your way out of it or express your way out of it 
but it won't necessarily come with like a physical, like uh, with just like a cognitive, okay, I just got to think this through. Cause that, yeah. at least for me yesterday, that wasn't working. It's really interesting that you say that because I, I was just last night, I was considering cognitive behavioral therapy and <laughs> Me too. What, what a useful tool it is. Mm-hmm. And yet it is limited in that I think uh, it's almost a trap to believe that you can think your way out of this problem entirely. And yeah. and by this problem, I mean negative thinking in general, or this feeling of uh, kind of angst or you know the human condition where you extend yourself out into the future and and feel anxious about that you can do the brain training with those pathways and that's fine but it's the at some point you've got to look at that kind of uh, thought behavior emotion cycle and step back and just be okay with not knowing what's going to happen and realize that you're not in control of even those things all the time and you just can't be and that's mm-hmm. okay Mm-hmm. So that's what I believe is the is the answer is taking like a almost like a blind faith approach to it and stepping back and realizing that if you acknowledge the feelings that are happening, whatever it is in your life that are causing those feelings, then eventually some grace will appear and you'll kind of be able to get back on track. But mm-hmm. it requires a faith in the system of this reality or or whatever God you believe in, or, or, you know, some kind of, uh, spiritual faith of some sort, I think to, to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the old thing. And this is such a universal thing that I've heard from people in, in the community and have experienced myself that like, it's one thing to do those pieces of maintenance when you're feeling okay, but pulling yourself through that fog or congestion or whatever you want to call it and saying, okay, now I'm going to do that maintenance. Now I'm going to go and lift weights for an hour, or I'm going to just scribble out some piece of art to just see what comes out and like pushing through and doing those things. This is the critical time to, to put that into practice. And so I, I, you know, yeah. last week I did, I had had a really good week with getting back into some weightlifting and doing some working out at home and stuff. And then yesterday we ended up being too busy of a day as you know, the day sort of got away from me, but like, I've got time today going to make that happen because now is the time to really put that into practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed that, especially with like, I I have the most resistance to doing uh, like cardio training because it's, I think mentally it's harder. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's always when I'm like, you know what, I don't even think I can do it. I feel too, I'm too tired. I, I just, you know, I'd rather take a nap or whatever. But that is exactly the time when I need to get out there and run or or do something that gets a blood moon because it it is uh, you're right it's tough when you uh, you try to apply these things when things are not as bright and cheery and I don't know maybe it's uh, I'm finding this time of year I I know it's a you know we talk about it a lot or whatever but I I really thought that that January had like 45 or 50 days in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was the longest January on record for me. I mean, it was just like, I, I, what am I in a time dilation here? I don't understand what's going on. It's on and on and on. But here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. I had the same thought about it. Like uh, in looking at our kind of tracking the some of the podcasts from the month of January and then being like, oh my God, we got 10 days left in this month. Yeah. <laughs> we still have five days left in the month. Yeah, no, it's true. And yeah. I, I think that's pr- probably a fairly common experience right now. For sure. Yeah. Good opportunity to thank all our new listeners as well. We've uh, definitely got a little more traction now on the audio side, and we're starting to see some uh, some solid data as far as uh, lots of shares going on 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 Facebook and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that is uh, really appreciated, and it it definitely encourages us encourages us to uh, continue what we're doing. Even the people who aren't happy with some of the things we're saying, we are fine with that because. We make mistakes and uh, we have different ideas about different things in the world of recovery and uh, so do other people. And that's all fine. We're here to, we're here to learn. Totally. And I might be wrong, but I think that today's topic might be a a divisive topic as well, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an interesting one. What we're going to do today is talk about Bill 36. This was a bill that was passed quietly last year. They've been working on it, I think, as far back as I suppose you could say maybe 2018 or earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, what the bill is about is basically regulating the regulators. So 
We're talking about colleges for healthcare professionals in British Columbia. So there's, I think, 20 in existence, uh, 25 potentials, something like that. And these are bodies that are self-governed. So like uh, using my own college as an example, the College of Pharmacists, they're tasked with basically licensing pharmacies, licensing pharmacists. They make acts and guidelines for us to follow as far as practice policies concerned. Their number one mandate is to protect the public. So I guess what the what the idea is here is that they're they're looking to modernize the uh, Health Professionals Act. So it'll be the Health Professionals and Occupations Act. And there's a few stages that took place over the last few years where they gathered information to do this, uh, to move forward with this. So I think it was November 24th last year, it uh, received royal ascension, which is uh, that's pretty... <laughs> That's pretty heady governmental uh, (laughs) verbiage there, uh, royal ascension. So that means it became became an act. And then we're waiting to hear there's going to be a date of uh, implementation for this. So it's going to affect every healthcare professional in British Columbia in some way, shape, or form. We've both looked at this and... We've kind of, uh, just to get a better understanding of how the the bill came about, how it got passed, what the province is trying to do, and ultimately how we're looking at it from a uh, healthcare professional point of view, just because obviously that's where our experience lies. But there's also concerns with the way the way this is tilted, and uh, that might be a point of contention. But we'll we'll kind of move through it and and go for some pros and cons and see what everybody thinks about it. Yeah. You know, this is the timing of of this of us doing this discussion is so interesting. I I live in the Fraser Valley, and there are two spots within my daily drives that I take that have been over the last two years, year and a half maybe, have been consistently uh, labeled with graffiti, and the the graffiti is is consistently anti anti government, anti vaccine, primarily anti vaccine. I would say in these two different spots on my drive that I'll, and usually some poetic message about, about the harm of the vaccines and stuff like that. And interestingly, this week, those pieces of graffiti have been replaced with large anti bill 36 graffiti. (laughs) And this morning, you know, there was a, probably a, a 10 foot long strip in this entryway into the city that, you know, stopped bill 36 with a big skull and crossbones. So, kind of interesting to me that says this is such a politically loaded divisive issue much more i mean it's much more than meets the eye and it's it's so much about the politics in canada right now the politics of healthcare and the influence of politics on that than just like oh we got to clean up these regulators so and this is where the the discussion i think in in social media and stuff will probably come in and we welcome that but I think we want to just sort of be, we have, you and I have our own, it is no shock or surprise that we're not necessarily friends of the regulators mm-hmm. yeah. on this podcast, that we've been very critical of, of these, some of these regulatory bodies yeah, and have, and have said before this bill passed that we want to see changes and want to see reform, but that doesn't mean we're not going to pick this apart and let the government off easy with this either. Cause I think it, there's both sides to this for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I don't know how many, it probably when they started looking into this was probably when I really started reaching out across Canada, trying to understand who was in charge of these these colleges and and what possible ramifications or reprimands they could receive from uh, some sort of an oversight body. And I was told that there really wasn't anything in place but that something was coming. So that was, I think, as far back as 2020. And Mm -hmm. since that time, I've heard, I've I've been in contact with people who were closer to these regulatory affairs, and and they kind of echoed that same belief that that something was coming and it was probably going to be bad news for some of the colleges. Mm -hmm. Whether this Bill 36, Health Professionals and Occupations Act, is bad news, I think it will... It will depend very much on how this is rolled out. So I guess what got this going is uh, public criticisms, mainly about, this is hard to understand from a, a healthcare professional's point of view. Believe me, it's if you're on the ground and 
the amount of flack you receive for every complaint that is valid, it's difficult to calculate. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are wild and they're especially wild when they're sick, hurting, or have been waiting for a long time, or just found out they have to pay for something they don't think they have, they should pay for. So <laughs> nevertheless, the belief is that the current colleges uh, under the Health Professions Act has enabled cultures that can sometimes promote the interests of professions over the interests of the public. What do you think when you, when you hear that as a, uh, a motivator for this bill? I see a lot of truth in that statement. I think there is a, a what comes across as a, uh, first of all, a lack of transparency. There's a huge lack of transparency, yeah. which there's several parts of this of this document that get into that piece about transparency. I think that there's a self-serving nature that it comes across, and and in thinking about my own experience with it, with dealing with the regulatory body, that it was that they were protecting the profession to the utmost, and then protecting the public. Protecting me was not a even though I was a part of the profession, that wasn't their interest, and that's okay. That's not their mandate, but I yeah. think it it certainly felt that the protection of the image of the profession and the interests of the profession were first. And then the piece about protecting the public was second at the time that I went through that. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good way to parse this out because I think it's, it's hard for me when I look at this and, and I see the idea that uh, the interest of the profession is coming first. I, when I, when I read that at first, I look at it and I say, well, you're talking about the interests of the people who are in the profession, but that's that's not really what it is. No, the, no. the colleges don't. It, I, I, as far as my dealings with the, the College of Pharmacy are concerned, I am simply a statistic that spits out money. That's it. That's all mm -hmm. I am to them. They know how many there are of me <laughs> and they collect a tremendous amount of fees. And for that money, you get very little. And there at no time in my career have I ever felt that my college was there to protect me as a professional. No, never. No, no, same. Quite the opposite. But the idea that they want to protect the image of the profession so that they can continue to exist as an entity, that feeling is palpable. Yeah. And I can only speak towards, a, I, I mean, I've had dealings with, uh, you know, mostly the, the College of Pharmacy, but also a lot with the, um, the College of Nurses and, and Midwives, and not so much with the uh, College of Physicians, although I do pay attention to what goes on there. And I think they could maybe take a little bit of blame for some of this, <laughs> uh, especially yeah. with their uh, wildly inappropriate judgment on the conflict of interest scenario with monitoring, backing up the, the clinic down at the coast there that was it was an obvious conflict of interest, the way they had their, their clinic set up there. And the public did complain about that and the college backed them up. So mm -hmm. if you are not prepared to do what you're supposed to do, which is regulate your members in a way that is ethically sound, then you can expect to have some concern raised. Maybe that's indicative of, of some of the types of actions that have led the province down this path. Yeah. One of the things they're going to do here is am amalgamate colleges. So mm -hmm. they want to bring the well, the total number of uh, professional disciplines is 25 in this province, and they're going to make six colleges out of that. So yeah. they'll be regulating some professions that were not regulated, and then they'll be amalgamating. Uh, there's two big amalgamations, and then they're also grouped everybody together and... Uh, I guess uh, we can look at that a little bit closer in a bit here. But the other concern they had is that the colleges are not meeting changing patient and family expectations regarding transparency and accountability. And finally, they just use the word inefficient. And mm -hmm. uh, the inefficient one is, is at a level now where I would say it is not sustainable I just looked at the College of Pharmacists financials for 2021. They take in over $10 million a year, but they have less than 100 members. Mm -hmm. There's a less than 100 people working there, but they're taking in $10 million in just fees. Yeah. So you do the math on that and you look at, uh, they have their building lease there, they have their investments, they have everything on there. And it's like, that means that every single person, regardless of whether you're a receptionist or uh, the CEO, every person is making much more than a pharmacist. 
what's the oh, justification yes. for that? Yeah. I, what are they doing? You know, why are we, why would a uh, college registrant pay them for the services that we're receiving? If it's the public that they're mandated to protect, then let the public pay for them. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be that wildly inefficient, then guess what? Maybe the government's going to come in and, and uh, police you. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of I, I, like, I, I understand why <laughs> there would be concerns, right? Sure. And the same thing has happened within nursing is that those fees have went up and up and up every year. They amalgamated with the midwives prior to this bill, amalgamated with practical nurses. They have, you know, there's over 40,000 registered nurses in the province. You know, um, 59,000 members now in that. In 59,000 members. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they are taking in a large sum of money that is way over and above. Like, I don't know how much union dues are in comparison, but I can't imagine that they're that much. One of the things I, I thought when looking at this new bill is that if these colleges are amalgamated and you end up with, you know, instead of six different colleges, say for like the naturopaths, uh, Chinese herbal medicine, acupuncturists, can't remember, there's a few that are being uh, put into like a natural yeah. healthcare yeah. group. Psychologists was another one. Yeah. So if if everybody goes into this this group and they're talking about streamlining the process, when I hear the word streamlining from a government uh, body, I I mean, there's a little bit of cynicism that automatically comes up there. But let's say they do what they're going to, they say they're going to do. And instead of uh, a combination of maybe 200 members over six colleges, they get it down to 50. So mm-hmm. the vast majority of the money and dollars you're spending in fees when those go to the college is for those people's salaries. It dwarfs everything else, but it's it probably 90% of their expenses is salaries. So mm-hmm. if we're to see a streamlining occur, and through these amalgamations, we drop from 200 employees down to 50, I don't know what they're doing in there most of the time anyway. Honestly, I can't imagine that the, they process everything so slowly. It's wildly inefficient. But let's say they're able to continue doing what they're supposed to do with a quarter of the workforce. That means we should see... If your college has been amalgamated, we, you should see a drop in fees. If you don't see a drop in fees, then right away, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess time will tell. We'll have to see with with particularly these amalgamated bodies the, where there are, a, it's a whole pool of colleges. It'll be very interesting to see what happens to the fees there. You know, the Caton report, which is the, the report on these governing bodies that kind of led to this bill, it criticized the the lack of transparency for the public. In regards to timelines, and that was, <laughs> you know, that's one that we're really quite familiar with. And and the concern is that the public makes a complaint about about a, a pharmacist or a nurse, and then they don't hear, and they don't hear, and they don't hear. They don't get the update. They don't know when the investigation is going to happen, and it goes on and on and on. Well, <laughs> this is true for for both sides that there oh. has been a, a lack of transparency. Yet. In terms of being the person on the other side, being the professional on the side that needs to answer to the to the college, there's usually quite a strict time to respond. Like, oh yeah, res- respond to this email within two weeks or hours, forty-eight you know, hours, something like yeah. that. Or, you know, s- please send your um, you know, your letter response, which is a if you've been investigated by the college, your re- letter of response is kind of your singular piece of of voice. And your singular time to um, kind of make a, a rebuttal. There's a strict timeline there, but there hasn't been a timeline no. <laughs> in the process otherwise, and no time f- frame where they say we are we will be accountable. We will conclude our investigation within sixty days or or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So that's one where I hear okay, some accountability there uh, in terms of your just time frames alone. That seems like a fair request to make of, the, of these governing bodies. It's super fair request. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. I just, nope. do you have any faith, like looking at looking at this, and it's one thing to put uh, a bunch of words down on paper about what's going to happen, but can you imagine any circumstances where they reduce the members, like they're, they're going to leave the College of Pharmacy alone as mm-hmm. far as it, it will stand alone, but there won't be any more elected members on the board. Right. So- that means that the government is going to decide who sits on the board and it's going to be half public and half professionals because they want all, the all appointed by the government though. That's right. Yeah. So I guess that the, the part that's difficult to believe is that 
you're going to make that change to an already wildly inefficient entity and then expect them to adhere to guidelines regarding time and communications with the public. Mm-hmm. My question would be what happens if they don't and how soon do you affect how soon do you expect these changes to come into uh, into play? Mm-hmm. This was maybe the most um, interesting part of the that whole document to me, like the idea of looking at how these boards are are made up. Fair enough. The idea, and this is where I can empathize with the public criticism that like, hold on here, all of the members will be appointed by the government, by the Ministry of Health. It's hard not to feel cynical about that. Yeah, because aren't you then just facing the same problem? I mean, is there anybody out there who thinks that the government is all of a sudden going to turn into a super efficient, non-bureaucratic monster? Right. Well, no, for sure. And additionally, is there any anyone out there who doesn't think that there will be some political motivation in the assignment of people to a given board? Of course. And particularly given that substance use and drugs are are a big have become in the last couple of years a big political issue and drug policy and safe supply and legalization and all that stuff or decrim rather what will happen to these boards if if there's a change in politics in the province? And right now we have a we have a a new premier, a rel- you know, within the last couple of months here, a new premier, but the same <laughs> party that's that's been in power for some time. If that, mm-hmm. if and when, because this is what happens in politics, is there will be a, a another shift. What will happen to those boards? And I don't, I'm not claiming to know the answer here, but potentially those boards could be then replaced by a much more anti-drug or conservative base, and that will assuredly influence the board decisions, the review decisions, the decisions on penalties or or um, restrictions that are put on workers or nurses or pharmacists or whoever who are found to have developed an issue of substance use. There will be an implication that goes that far down, I think. Certainly. For example, look what would happen if we just moved Alberta's regulation bodies over to BC right, and they took over overnight. Yeah. Imagine the different outcomes you'd have with healthcare professionals. And the other thing that is interesting to me is that this does seem like a, it's a very public safety centered, at least that's how it comes across, is that this is all about public safety. Will that translate to more healthcare professionals being dismissed? I mean, it seems like they're really stepping up the the wording, especially like they're going to take a hardline stance on uh, accusations of sexual misconduct for sure and mm-hmm. culturally uh, discriminatory practices. And those are serious issues that that, of course, need to be addressed. My concern would be one of kind of fair and, and due process. And I'm sure that's one thing that comes with the territory when you're working for one of these colleges is you're probably inundated with a an absurd number of complaints, uh, just volume-wise. And then you have to go through all those complaints. And I would imagine that from what I've seen, 90% of those are just people who are angry at the doctor or dentist or psychologist or because they didn't agree with a diagnosis, whatever. People, when they get upset, they tend to complain. And many times it's not a... Um, you know, the, the the healthcare professional acted like a human being and did the best they could with the, the situation. So I don't know if there'll be more of a no tolerance kind of uh, aspect to that. And if so, how does that factor into the equation when we're looking at a doctor shortage, a pharmacist shortage, nurses who are just walking off the job, how do we maintain the structure of the healthcare system if there is going to be a stricter, less nuanced approach to these types of complaints? Yeah, really good question. And I'm not sure that they have been concerned about that this whole time. Like just this year, we are seeing, you know, that they're that they're looking at expediting the process of getting licenses for newcomers to Canada who have that certification or have that license. And now they come to Canada and and it's usually a bureaucratic nightmare to get through that, to get licensed to work here. So they've said that they're going to commit to improving that. Other than that, it hasn't seemed that they've been concerned about people walking away from the profession. 
And that change probably says to me that that will continue and potentially get much, much more prominent, that there will be more people walking away, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that they brought an expert in from the UK to mm-hmm. do this, uh, to do the 2018 um, Harry, uh, was it Caton? Caton, yeah. Yeah. So this guy's an expert in college uh, regulatory affairs. And it's fuel for the conspiratorial fire because there's there's a lot of uh, kind of talk, at least in social media, about how the UK is our future. If you look at what's happening with the UK's medical healthcare system, it's slightly ahead of us in its decay, but heading towards the same end, which mm-hmm. is inevitable privatization. Mm-hmm. And there is concern that some of the pressure that's being put on their medical system, undue pressure, is from parties who are interested in moving that forward faster. So I thought it was interesting that you would bring somebody over (laughs) from the place that is having the exact same problem as us, only they're further down the road to do that study here. Mm -hmm. Just a a funny coincidence, and I'm sure there's nothing there, but... And looking over the guy's work, I, I thought he everything that he that he said was was accurate. I'm not sure what got them interested in the dental college, but there must have been something there that that got them going because they're they're the first ones they looked at. Oh yeah. So his kind of summation of what was going on there was a very articulate, polite, general statement, which equated to. There is the potential for a lot of corruption here in that there's uh, maybe protection of the the entity of the college itself that doesn't serve the public. There is efficiency problems throughout. There is too many board members. There is too many committees. There is too much. Uh, there's too many colleges uh, for oral health professionals. I mean, so that's fine. I just thought it was funny that they they brought somebody in from the UK. If people knew that, maybe there'd be some eyebrows raised there, but... Did you get a chance to go over his report a little bit there? A bit, yeah. Specifically going back to the idea that you know one of the concerns that was raised in the report was that that people that on these boards that make that do the review process end up making the decisions about licensing or about any kind of penalty paid by the by the professional was that the profession the professionals who work within that profession so the pharmacists who then sit on the board of the College of Pharmacists, that they are paid more than the public members. There are more of them. So there is a power imbalance there. Mm -hmm. So one of the recommendations, again, was that that there's equal pay between public members of the board and professional members of the board, and that a better sort of balance is struck. Right. The other recommendation was that there would be, particularly for these, he spoke to the, the, the amalgamated colleges, that there would be sort of subcommittees that would look at the interests of each specific profession. So if there was a um, an occupational therapist, for example, who an issue arose with or a complaint arose with, there would be people that had a specific approach to the occupational therapy profession. I had concern when I initially read that, and then going back to reread that they'd said, well, no, no, we would we would set something up so that there could be some oversight of these specific professions. How do they know that the members of the public that are sitting on those boards have enough of a background in healthcare even to to be able to make judgments like that? Right. So I, I think that's the concern. Yeah. Uh, I guess they're just saying that they would they would be. Um, so they're going to set up another committee to make sure that that committee is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and there's a few examples of that where where yeah. where the bureaucracy is being um, uh, fortified. <laughs> Right. Well, this is <laughs> it's this being is simultaneously a... pared down and fortified. <laughs> That's right. Um, I guess I, I'm just going to quickly uh, go over the information that we have for amalgamation, so people know if they're listening what who's going where. Sure. Uh, the College of Doctors and uh, or Physicians and Surgeons is not amalgamating with anybody. They're they're staying put. College of Pharmacy is staying put. The amalgamations that we know about so far are for the, they're going to put the dietitians, occupational therapists, opticians, optometrists, physical therapists, psychologists, and speech and hearing professionals under one banner. And that's a large banner right there. 
there's quite a bit of uh, quite huge. a difference between a optometrist and a psychologist. Yeah, um, huge. Another one they're going to do is chiropractors, massage therapists, naturopathic physicians, traditional Chinese medicine, and acupuncturists into one regulator. That one feels a little bit more cohesive. I don't quite understand how you're going to put all those colleges together and then pare them down and get more work out of them. I guess that's my concern. Mm. Like, how do you get these people who are sitting in these very cushy positions where there's there hasn't been anybody watching them work for a long time, right? They they just, I mean, I don't know if they have any kind of uh, oversight as far as how much they're supposed to get done. But mm -hmm. based on the timelines that I've seen with colleges, there appears to be nobody, there's nobody cracking the whip, basically. Yeah. And uh, how do you navigate that if you're trying to implement this bill? You know, you're taking, let's see, there's one, two, there's like, say you're taking seven different colleges that exist. And these are small colleges with uh, probably not many people in them. But say there's, let's uh, conservatively say there's 70 people working. Mm -hmm. So you're going to pare that down, maybe cut half the jobs down to 35. And now you're taking care of, you're going to have people there who don't know a thing about the other members the of other these colleges, the yeah, other professions. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So that'll be a bit of a challenge for them. Not saying it can't be done and it I'm uh, not saying it shouldn't be done. I think the idea of scaling it for economy and then getting rid of the superfluous employees, I mean, I'm sorry, but you had your chance. You had a long time here and it looks to me like there's a lot of just, I don't know where this money is going. That's, that's a huge concern for me. Why yeah. are my fees going up? And I don't, there's no changes. I mean, the last thing, uh, the last rumor I heard is that the college fees are going up for pharmacists because they want to renovate their building because the dentists renovated their building across the way. Mm -hmm. Like this kind of stuff, it doesn't build faith. It doesn't no, build trust, right? It doesn't. And just in the interest of, of fairness, the unions, in my opinion, have done the same thing. The nurses union has certainly done the same thing. They, their, our fees went up when they were building a, a splashy building in downtown Vancouver. Yeah, and this is always a problem, isn't it? I very much believe that we're heading towards a situation here where it may be required that all health care professionals come together under one banner and have one union that protects us all because the way things are going here, eventually we will have no say in what happens with our professions at all. Mm -hmm. um, if, you know, if these types of processes become corrupt or become politicized to the point where it's, I mean, it's already not great, right? I mean, it, it's been not great for a while. So, and it's hard to, it's hard to look at this and be optimistic as far as, uh, you know, when the government talks about streamlining and amalgamating, I think centralization of power, I think bureaucratic inefficiency, and I scratch my head wondering how on earth they're going to like they haven't even put a timeline forward yet. They've been working on this five years. Yeah. So do you, so, in, in those things that you think of, do you think of accountability? Does tighter governance and more governance over a group of bodies, does that equal more accountability? Are those things mutually exclusive? Well, policing a profession is tricky, right? It's not like policing the public where we've got reams and reams of data to draw from. It's kind of a niche sector. So you need people within that sector who are representative of the profession and are reasonable and do care about public safety, mm -hmm. but there also has to be some concern for the livelihood of the, the profession. And that doesn't mean that you have to protect members who are not treating the public well or treating them with the discrimination or, or all the crazy things that, that happen. Most healthcare professionals, I think, are in this province especially, are are good people who generally want to help. Mm -hmm. They work very hard, and most of them are not paid enough. Uh, nurses, doctors come to mind. You know, even with the uh, the new contract they're getting, or I, I I don't know if it's going to be enough. If I guess it depends on how this is going to be implemented. And, and what kind of fairness is going to be exercised? Because I don't, I see a lot of talk about protecting the public, which is great. I want, I, you know, I want my parents to be able to go and see a doctor in their hometown and, and not have something crazy happen because that mm -hmm. doctor is either not qualified or 
up to some billing scam or, you know, like we have to have, somebody's got to be watching out and making sure that outliers are, are reprimanded or taken out of the system. That's, that's got to happen. But if you make the environment so inhospitable for professionals to work, and we've already got a problem with uh, paperwork in this province, as far as, you know, they're, they're trying to rectify that with the, the new physicians deal where they're, they're getting paid for some homework and stuff. But I mean, physicians are smart people. They'll, uh, <laughs> they're not, they know what, what they can get elsewhere. And if, if these policies are implemented and it's heavy on the public side and, you know, every single complaint is taking an extra, you know, if, if a public member can go in and complain about their doctor and then that doctor has to write a two hour report to defend themselves when they've done nothing wrong, guess what? Yeah. Your doctor's gone. They'll, yeah. they'll go to another province or they'll go to the States. Why would they stay here? Right. So that's, that's uh that's a concern I have about whenever you, I mean, it, we've already had a problem with bureaucratic paperwork and this province is rife with red tape. It's way over the top. So if this turns out to be a real streamlining process and it actually does cut through some of that, then kudos to them. I just, I personally don't have a lot of faith when I see a, uh, an amalgamation into a government entity like this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It seems like simply a, a transfer of bureaucracy. Kind of, that, right? Like, yeah, that we will, that, that the process within the regulatory bodies might be smoother this way, but the process to establish the boards to oversee them, that part will still be, still be loaded, I think. So I wonder if that will end up just sort of balancing out and we won't see a big difference in terms of timelines, in terms of efficiency. Unless this is usually a, the case, right? Yeah. Unless there's a big political shift that could influence it one way or another, then I think it could change change timelines, but it might just kind of balance out. It usually is a wash when they do stuff like this. Um, only the the people at the bottom get a little more taxed, right? Mm-hmm. So what I would expect to see is within about five years, they've got this implemented. The government is now overseeing these colleges and our fees will somehow be higher. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Is, that would be the unsurprising outcome here. But uh, just to quickly give a summary of what they're trying to accomplish with this new uh, modernization of the Healthcare Providers Act into the Healthcare Providers and Occupations Act. So they're looking to, we've already talked about the amalgamation process. One of the goals will be to streamline that process. So we'll once we have a timeline for implementation, we'll we'll keep an eye on that and see how that goes. They want to bring in a new oversight body, and we're going to put in a sound effect for oversight body, I think. <laughs> oversight body. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it's a, kind of a generic, ominous sounding term. But <laughs> this is to be, this is where you'll see your fees, by the way. This is what's going to happen. So this body is to be funded by the colleges. So now the colleges get a taste of what we've been dealing with, right? Aha. Uh-huh. Now the college will get will pay to be policed, but will the college pay? No. They will shift that money back to us because that's where their money comes from. Without question. Yes. So this new and there's more. So the oversight body uh, is going to conduct routine audits and regulatory on regulatory colleges. I'm hoping that also includes financial audits. Because as a mm. member of a college, as a, a healthcare professional, that's that's a big concern. I want to know where my money's going. Yeah, I think it'll be more to do with safety and protocols, but you never know. So the, the oversight body is going to process and investigate complaints about the regulatory college's actions and policies. Now, that is probably going to be more from a public point of view. I don't know how involved they'll be with professionals complaining about the uh, regulatory colleges if there's an avenue for complaints then i've got about uh, i've got a backlog log of about 200 so um and i will be sending them all yeah because so, <laughs> i i would there's things that need to be addressed from mm-hmm. long time ago till now mm-hmm. uh many many complaints so we'll, we'll see what happens there and the other thing they did with they're they're separating so normally the college would have taken care of the investigation of a complaint towards a, a professional, and they would have been responsible for the disciplinary action. Right now, now they're separating it. So 
the college is going to initiate the investigation and the disciplinary side of it was going to be supported by the oversight board. What do you make or, of that? It's interesting that they think, again, this this tells me that they think that there's shenanigans going on where the healthcare professional is being protected by the college. It's not the case. It's not the case. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that's happened where, where somebody had a friend on the board or something like that. I'm sure that's happened in the past, but largely we're treated like cattle, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they do the ver- the minimum that's required by law that they can get away with and that's it. So I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what they think they're going to do other than there seems to be concern about, you know, if they're talking about transparency issues and they want somebody who's being investigated, if they want the public to be involved in that investigation, as in they get access to that person's name, credentials, work history, uh, what happened during the event and stuff like that, uh, then that's going to be, that'll be a court case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a Privacy Act violation. <laughs> and what's the timeline of that going to be? Well, that's the, the thing, Yeah, right? One of the reasons like uh, David Eby is, uh, is <laughs> poor guy's already up for a recall, but mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the concerns that, uh, and of course, this recall is politically motivated. It's being headed by a guy who was trying to get elected in the first place, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But that guy does have a point and that this does, if that's the angle they're taking, then you're getting into Privacy Act issues again, where you got to remember that everybody is innocent till proven guilty. So and that should include, you know, people who are being accused of professional conduct issues or whatever it might be. For things like that, which are the majority of what the college is going to face in complaints, I think the the people involved in that have a right to confidentiality until a decision is made. If it's a, a grievance that is bad enough that it needs to be made public, that's fine. I mean, there should be room for that. But that's a real touchy one as far as uh, human rights goes, you know? Yep, it is. And again, this is the whole debate about who are they protecting first, the public or the profession. Seemingly, when you look on any of these colleges, any of them, if you look on their websites, you can see uh, who's being investigated and some details of, or, or even more. There's some that are quite thorough, unless there's a, a medical diagnosis that makes it so that their privacy is, should be maintained. It's all on there. And it's on there before, at this time, it's on there before there's a conclusion that's been reached. Unless you have a good lawyer. That's right. So, so yeah. to me, that says that the right now, that is the motivation of that is to protect the public mm-hmm. and not yeah. the other way around. Yes, I, I would agree with you there. They're going to create an independent discipline tribunal that will be the uh, the entity that that oversees that. And that'll be that will be an interesting thing if they do make that more like if it becomes more accessible to the public and transparent. Again, as long as it's within the the confines of the normal judiciary system, as in, you know, if there's a grievous accusation and there's good evidence to suggest that it's it's true, then you know maybe it can be a little more fleshed out in the public. But will that include the nurses, midwives, physicians, and pharmacists? Will is that oversee all governing bodies? I believe it so does. Unless that entity that looks at discipline is enormous. That will get bogged down so quickly if now all are being funneled through the same spot, won't it? Like <laughs> the, looking at the 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 mm. board who looks after discipline for nurses, that board is bogged down. That board mm. is is completely, I think, drowning in complaints and in, in in disciplinary issues. And that's part of why, or so they claim, and that's why it takes so long too, is that there's a lot of them. But if if they're all going through the same place, I imagine that is a traffic jam. <laughs> <laughs> I would see that as a big bottleneck too. I'm, and again, I, I don't know how, when you say streamline and you're talking about reducing the number of people who are working at these places and yet somehow getting more productivity out of them, I'm a little confused as to like, it's these, these types of documents always, it's like they have all the information there. They have the reason why they're making the decisions, but the implementation and maintenance of those decisions so that a document like this can can be pragmatic and useful that's the part that i don't see and i i guess I, we can hope that when they have a timeline perhaps they'll have 
implement, uh, implementation strategy so that we can take a look at how they're going to actually regulate this process. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we don't have to put a another level of regulation on the regulators who are doing the regulation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So what we could do is, uh, did you have uh, just a, a kind of summary of your pros and cons? I can give you that. Yep. Sure. Let's hear what you got. So for me, a pro, again, we should preface this by saying this is if it is implemented and proves to be working as they claim that it will work, if it meets its goals. So we're, we're giving it the benefit of the doubt. For the sake of the exercise, we'll give it the benefit of the, of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, that said, we will also highlight some concerns. But if it meets its goals, then the idea of more transparency, absolutely a pro for me. Agreed. I'll, I'll hand it back to you. What would be your first pro? Well, I've said it for years. The colleges need to be policed. They need to be audited. They need to be held accountable. I can't believe that we've went this long allowing these entities to function the way they have with the misappropriation of power and funds. And it just, it, it's strange to me because other countries generally have some kind of a structure in place to to allow for self-governance, but to always also kind of keep an eye on it and make sure that things don't get out of hand. And we haven't had that. So if this is implemented properly, it's a no-brainer. It should have been done a long time ago. Yeah. I think another pro would be looking at the at the balance within these boards. Personally, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to say to say we're going to pay the public members the same as what the the private members are who sit on these on these boards. That's the pro there. The con there to me is that these boards will be entirely appointed by the government. That doesn't yeah. make sense to me. I no. think, and it not only does it not make sense, but it is just setting up for potentially being abused and misused. Yeah. And politicized further, like you said. Yeah. This country is heading towards a pendulum swing here of epic proportions. And if that means that all of a sudden BC's uh, back under blue governance, <laughs> then there will be significant, I could imagine, like you said, significant changes to this very quickly. But yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I guess. The other thing I like here is just, it's personally very satisfying to me. And uh, it makes me not a very good person. It's uh, it's a terrible thing to say, <laughs> but I love that the colleges are going. They're going to get a, a taste of their own medicine, and yeah. I have to take these these small delicious victories, even if they might be they might turn out to be just as uh, crazy. And then I think it, at least at the very least they are going to be subject to the same ambiguous non-existent guidelines where they're going to be expected to follow rules that they can't find, you know, and then be reprimanded when they don't. I, I could see that happening very easily. And uh, I will not lose any sleep over that. We'll no, that way. no, I think some, a pro would be some reorganization of some of these smaller colleges might, I could see and to be honest with you, I'm kind of like naive about what the what the college of of like naturopathic medicine and Chinese medicine and massage therapy and stuff like that. Like that's out of my my realm. Mm -hmm. But to me, I could see restructuring that as making some sense if they're if these boards are that small, if the regulatory bodies are that small, which presumably they are. I think a con is that they have probably for a variety of reasons not wanted to touch the the doctors, the nurses, and the pharmacists. And so you're leaving three pretty muscular entities there. And will that, in fact, create more of a, an imbalance between those three and all of the rest? I think that imbalance was probably already there, but will this perpetuate that? I wonder. Yeah, I wonder too. The only upside of that is, like I said, economy of scale. I mean, if those guys are paying, um, uh, who's somebody gets really shafted? There's a, I can't remember which one it is. It might be, there's some little college that pays a crazy high. It's like $2,400 a year or something mm. in fees. They should see a reduction. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And they only have like a few members, right? Mm -hmm. So those ones that are being amalgamated, if you're 
a member of those colleges uh, or being regulated by them, I would expect to see some reductions in fees. So watch for that and let us know if you don't, because if there's no economy of scale, then I, I don't know how that's going to be more efficient for anybody. But but we'll yeah. see. There's more to be uh, learned here. Yeah. Again, as we have talked about so many times on this podcast, that there's such inconsistency with the disciplinary process that individuals that you and I know, including myself, get handled one way. The next person gets handled a different way. The next person gets a whole other set of rules applied. The next person hasn't heard back mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so on and so on and so on. So for everyone to go through a more centralized, for lack of a better word, disciplinary panel, there might be some consistency that's created there. Yes, we should all be screwed equally. (laughs) Well, this is right. The con (laughs) of that is that A, it will be potentially a bottleneck. It may actually take more time. And B, depending on the political will, now that these boards will be influenced by directly by politics, that there will be some equal screwing or some un, a, a lack of fairness or um, an influence of an anti-drug mindset, et cetera, et cetera. There's just an endless list of, of things that could go wrong with that, mm-hmm. but it could also create some consistency. It could. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we would, we would hope to see if we could get a little more consistency. I think the biggest thing is time, right? If we could get, I mean, if you rob a bank, you have a right to a fair and timely trial, right? Right. So, you know, I mean, there has to be some kind of, there has to be some kind of standards that are set and met as far as timelines are concerned. And I think, I mean, if they could make that better, just that alone would really help healthcare professionals who are dealing with uh, substance use issues. Yeah. Generally speaking, the amalgamation of power, especially into government bodies is, in my opinion, an overall negative. Uh, I'm always leery of centralization. And this is no exception, mm-hmm. but giving it the uh, the benefit of the doubt, we'll we'll see. I believe the transition will take years. Like uh, they could set a date, two years maybe as a target. Mm-hmm. And uh, I yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm not sure what the transition stage will look like as far as how professions are dealing with their day to day on the ground level. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be? You know, they're saying. Up until the implementation date, the old Health Professions Act will be in place and the colleges will be business as usual. But I can't see that really being the case if, you know, you've got half your staff that knows they're getting (laughs) relieved of their duties. I I was just going to say that. You're going to see there'll be a transition period of probably fairly extreme flux where I would expect all momentum to nearly come to a either a stop or a crawl right until the next group of whatever this is going to be takes over so that's something to that i'm a little leery of and uh, i'll be keeping an eye on i just hope that they keep healthcare professionals in mind here Mm -hmm. i also wonder about morale like just the the timing of this change that is loaded with concern loaded with conversation with argument you would think that in some of these professions, the overall morale w- will be impacted by this. Yes. At a absolutely. time where it's, yeah. where it's pretty tough to be a healthcare worker. I don't think there's been a tougher time than now. No. And has government, has faith in the government ever been lower? Probably not. Probably not. So they're asking for a large scale grain of salt here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and we'll see. I think in theory, this is a a bill that has a potential to make things better for everyone. Yeah. Except the, it'll probably make things worse for the colleges, but they brought that on themselves. Sure. So. And the other part, you know, just for our listeners, this is a, what, a 272 page document, something like that. Like it's a monster. Yeah, it is huge. And uh, yeah, it's I mean, they passed it in like just a little over a month. So. Does anyone read these things? <laughs> I was just going to say, just, <laughs> you and I, you and I were focused on just on this specific issue. There's more to the bill than just stuff with the colleges, but and a lot of people's concerns is also around the potential for privatization, which is a, a whole separate episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just to think about having to sit down and read all 272 pages, and then like make sense of it and feel comfortable and confident with the material, and and then vote on it. I 
You know what I was thinking would be a good thing. This would be a good jo- uh, job for a chatbot, right? Get chat GPT in here and say, chatbot, read this 237 page document because it's it's written in legalese, right? Translate it to English and summarize it in one page, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe chatbot can help us here. <laughs> chatbot, if you're listening, get to work. <laughs> I think we can leave it there, Corey. What do you? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, we've um, covered a lot here, mm-hmm. taking up quite a bit of time, and uh, and there's just there's we could break it down for a long time, and I think a lot of it has to be left to we'll see. Yeah, and I re- I realize this is a little bit out of our our normal wheelhouse as far as you know. This is much more into regulatory affairs than we get, but we both thought it was important to cover this because the impact will eventually be felt at the level of the the individual who's stuck in the machine. So that's why it's important for us to keep track of these things. Oh yeah, we you and I have been have been critical of regulatory bodies since we started this and before and uh this is the first time we've seen it actually moved into legislation. So it's it's big. It is. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's all we got. Thanks for your input, co-host Corey. And you as uh, well, of course. We will see everybody next time. Yep. See you soon.